Our second reading this morning comes from Paul's letter to Timothy, first letter to Timothy, chapter 6, verses 6 through 19. Of course, there is great gain in godliness combined with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world so that we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, and in their eagerness to be rich, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. But as for you, man of God, shun all of this. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and for which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Jesus Christ who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. I charge you to keep the commandment without spot or blame, until the manifestation of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will bring about at the right time. He who is blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, it is he alone who has immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can, to him be honor and eternal dominion. As for those who in the present age are rich, Command them not to be haughty or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but rather on God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, generous and ready to share, thus storing for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of the life that is really life. Let us pray. Give us your spirit of wisdom, O God, so that we may hear your word speaking through the scriptures with ears that understand and hearts move to love. Amen. So today is the uh, last installment of a four-part sermon series that I've done this fall called Reboot. And if you've caught some of those, you remember that the premise of all this was maybe to look at this time of year, fall, as we're coming into a different season, to maybe reboot our lives in different ways and and to look at life a little bit differently. Uh, We started out with reconciling relationships. That was way back on September 1st, and we looked at Paul's letter to his friend Philemon and this relationship that Paul had, or the relationship that Philemon and Onesimus had that was broken, and Paul was offering ways in which they could reconcile. And then in part two, we reimagined regret. Uh, Also using Paul's letter to Timothy, we talked about regret and how we all have regrets of some way or shape or form and how we uh, acknowledge those regrets, but also allow the Holy Spirit to enter our lives and and relieve any burden that we might carry from that regret. And the third thing we talked about was reframing prayer and looking at prayer maybe in a different light and how we might bring prayer into our daily lives more effectively and efficiently. And then today we're going to rethink 
happiness. Again, using Paul's uh, letter to Timothy, which I, which I just read. Now, it could be said that the pursuit of happiness is one of the greatest obsessions of life. If you look up uh, quotes uh, on the internet about happiness, uh, you will get pages and pages and pages of citations. Um, Here's just a few that I found uh, interesting. There are positive words about happiness. Charlotte Bronte, the English author and poet, said this, There is no happiness like that of being loved by your fellow creatures and feeling that your presence is an addition to their comfort. Uh, the great uh, industrial, um, the great industrialist Andrew Carnegie, that that uh, Scottish American who gave us instructions on how to be happy, he said this: "If you want to be happy, set a goal that commands, a goal that commands your thoughts, liberates your energy, and inspires your hope." Uh, There are words that attempt to maybe define what happiness is. Uh, The Greek philosopher Aristotle said, happiness is the meaning and the purpose of life, the whole aim and end of human existence. But as Christians, as Christ followers, how do we define happiness? Do these quotes reflect the biblical idea of what it means to be happy? Is happiness, like Aristotle indicates, our reason for existence? Well, I think it's a little deeper uh, than that. So maybe we can take some time and rethink what it means to be happy. Now, the first time we find the word or, or what is translated as the word happy in the Bible, it is about a family, uh, a mother naming a child after a uh, the child is born and she is so full of happiness. So you remember this takes place back in Genesis uh, chapter 30. You remember uh, our, our ancestors and our family with Abraham and Isaac and then Jacob. This is about uh, Jacob and his two wives and their two servants and the children that, that come from that. Um, so one of his wives was Leah. And in Genesis 30, 12 through 13, it said, Leah's maid, Zilpha, bore Jacob a second son. So this is Jacob's second son uh, from this maid or, or servant. And Leah exclaims, happy am I, for women will, be, will call me happy. And so she named this child Asher, which we can translate into the word happy or blessed. Either one, it's kind of interchangeable in in the Bible. So biblically, ultimate happiness has a connection to our relationships within our family. Asher was one of Jacob's 12 sons, one of the 12 tribes of Israel, and part of God's chosen family. It was this large Hebrew family that would bring humanity right back to a right relationship with God. So happiness is being part of God's family. But we can dig a little deeper into that. We can look at our Bible, and there are many clear examples of what it means to be happy. All we have to do is open up the Psalms in the middle of our Bible. Here's just some examples. Happy are all who refuge in God. That's from Psalm 2 and Psalm 34. Happy is the nation whose God is the Lord, Psalm 33. 
Happy is the person who puts their trust in the Lord, Psalm 40 and Psalm 84. Happy are those who did not hold on to falsehood or pride, Psalm 40. Happy is he who considers the helpless. Happy are those who who are protected by the Lord. Happy are those whom God chose to be near to God. Happy are those who know the joyful sound. Happy is the person who is humble and learns the law of the Lord. Happy are those who keep justice, who practice righteousness. Happy are those who dwell in the Lord's house. Happy are those who find their strength in the Lord. Happy is the person who finds wisdom and understanding. Happy are all who hold fast to wisdom. Happy are those who keep God's ways. Those last couple ones are from Proverbs. Man, that's a lot of happiness. But the Bible will always connect us in happiness back to God, being close to God, following God's commandments, seeking God's wisdom, trusting in God. It's clearly from God that we find our happiness. So our happiness is rooted in this relationship we have with God. And now I want to step one step deeper that Dan brought the kids a word that Dan brought into the children's message, contentment. Again, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, we started out with, of course, there is great gain and godliness combined with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world so that we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. Being content in in the original Greek that Paul used in this writing, if you look it up in the Greek lexicon, the definition is a perfect condition of life in which no aid or support is needed. A, A perfect balance. And it is a mind content with the place in life. A mind content with our place in life. Now Paul only uses this word content in Timothy and in Corinthians, and that's the only two places in the New Testament that this word or phrase that we translate contentment is located. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says, and God is able to to provide you with every blessing in abundance. That's the phrase in there, every blessing in abundance. That phrase is the same as contentment. So that by always having enough of everything, you may share abundantly in every good work. Now this is really important, and if you hear nothing else that I say today, if you don't remember any of my stupid jokes, remember this. According to Paul, God is the only provider of contentment. And contentment is being blessed by God so that you might be able to bless others. Paul, the elder, the teacher, is writing to his student, Timothy. And Paul knows this letter will be read by others, other church members in Colossia and maybe in other places. This is a teaching moment for a well-seasoned teacher. And Paul tackles this dangerous topic of materialism and wealth in this small and tiny church. He's not trying to play on feelings of guilt or shame about wealth. He's not writing to wealthy people. 
he's writing to poor people. Nor is he trying to raise money for himself or any kind of capital campaign. He's not trying to build a church. He's trying to teach his church. What we see here in this letter is pastoral work. A teacher speaking honestly with a student about something that concerns him about the people that they minister to. And here is Paul's concern. Contentment. The power of being at peace with what we have and who we are. Many times one of the ways that sin enters into our life is through a desperate attempt to fill a hole in our spirit, in our soul, and we seek out a material object to fill that hole. Advertising agencies specialize in helping us discover the things we need that we didn't even know existed. Large corporations that produce consumer goods have whole divisions of people working on human addictions and emptiness. Now, if you don't believe me that this is a that this discontentment in our society and in our culture is real, then I ask you to go out maybe this afternoon and take a drive around the outskirts of Mount Pleasant or Charleston or Somerville or wherever you are or any of your travels in the coming week and look around the outskirts of any town really in North America and what you will find is acres and acres and acres of self-storage units. It is a multi-billion dollar industry. Yes, that was billion with a B. In 2021 in North America, $40 billion were spent on rental fees alone. It's an industry that is dedicated to our random extra stuff. Things that no longer meet our immediate need. Things that yet we continue to hold on to just in case we need it. And I'll take this one step farther. Take a little walk around your neighborhood this afternoon. How many cars are parked in the driveway? How many cars are parked there because the garage is so packed full of stuff (laughs) that the cars that the garage was originally designed for don't fit in there? Now, I know, I know this is a really low blow. (laughs) And I wouldn't share it with you if I wasn't guilty myself. (laughs) But I do think acquiring and possessing more and more stuff is a symptom of our conflicted feelings about wealth and purging ourselves of this kind of float sam and jet sam of life is one of the true roads that we can get on to commitment, contentment. Now you're going to have to wait till next week to hear the process for that because I've got that for you. But that's a that's a different that's a different subject and a different uh, a different sermon. But I promise I, I had to double check it in my notes. Uh, yep, that's next week. Next week we're going to have a process. I'm going to help you figure out how to purge yourself of this stuff that we've all every one of us has accumulated but we don't think about that stuff being in our way of being content in life, and I can promise you that it is. So let's go back to wealth and materialism and why it was so important to Paul to share his feelings with Timothy about 
getting his people and the people that they ministered to to help them recognize that contentment was an important part of their life. There are more references to wealth and our possessions in the Bible than any other subject. The long-reigning number one reason for marital and family arguments is money and possessions. And the number one reason for anxiety and conflict in a faith community is money and property. Yet here we are in the most prosperous age in human history, and the desire to have more has never been more powerful. But for me, Paul's words to Timothy offer us hope. Even those of us with storage units, even those of us with garages, you can't even open the door. Again, 1 Timothy, of course there is great gain and godliness combined with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world so that we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. Contentment. I can imagine that most of you have already thought of someone in your life who exemplifies contentment. I know I have. I can tell you something about that person. They're very balanced and in tune with their world. Contentment. It is a common refrain that I hear returning from mission trips to third world country. I hear some, some phrase that goes like this. They had so little, but they were happy. I think what we interpret as happiness is contentment. People who have very little find a way to be content with what they have. Being content is being connected to God in a real and honest way. By trying to be content with what we have, we can rethink happiness. Not that we can be happy with less, but that what we do have has little or nothing to bear on our happiness. Perhaps the most challenging reboot of all is learning to be wholly content. The practice of relentless gratitude for what God has and God will provide for us, God's beloved children. I'll close with a paraphrase from the beginning of the psalm, Psalm 1. Happy is the person who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But their delight is in the law of the Lord, and in God's law they meditate day and night. Maybe it's time that we rethink happiness. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.